There's not a chance in hell I'd do it. <laughs> not a chance. Especially if you're the only one not dressed as a clown. <laughs> right. You're getting clown bullied that whole night. <laughs> They're going to put me in the movies. They're going to make the big star out of me. We'll make the film about a man that's sad and lonely. And all I got to do is act naturally. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another rousing edition of Talk Hard, presented by Walk Softly Films. Uh, as always, I'm with Scott Stafford. Say hello. Hey, everybody. And Todd Sheen. Hey. So we went a little long in our last episode, uh, so we decided to just make Force Watch its own episode. Uh, lucky for you all. Um, so we're going to get into some Hunt for Red October some Alec Baldwin, some Sean Connery, and then uh, we'll. If, if you all were keeping score at home, you already know who won this week's Force Watch. So uh, the suspense I know is killing everybody. Let's get into it. You guys ready? Let's take a trip back to 1990, everybody. Hunt for Red October. Here we go. So, Scott won uh, last week, or I guess, I don't know if it was last week, but the last time we played, Scott won Force Watch um, after correctly predicting what Wonder Woman would bring in by Bob Barkering me by $1 million. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm not bitter, but anyway, uh, and forced us to go back to 1990 and watch a little Hunt for Red October. I had a, a notion to do something in Alec Baldwin's filmography, uh, and, and this was the one I went with. It holds a special place in my heart. Why is that? Well, it was the Hunt for October. We were huge. Uh, if, I remember, if I'm remembering this correctly, both you and I were huge Connery fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly was, for, I was. I was really high on Bond at that time. And we both love Highlander. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So just massive Connery fan. And we we when we saw that, and I was kind of like into the whole Cold War Russia thing. And so when we heard this was coming out and this and and Connery was going to be in it, like I bought the book. Did you buy the book? Oh, I don't know if you remember or not. We kind of nerded out and and started our own little two man yeah club I remember. where we were going to read books and then watch the movies of them. <laughs> yes, we did. And this was the first one. Yeah, <laughs> ladies, you're uh, might be <laughs> might be excited by this. Yeah, by, I mean, how old were club. we? We were. <laughs> I was in like we were thirteen or... and we were doing a book club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we made it two books in, and I don't think I finished the second one. I think it was Flight nope. of the Intruder. Fly- yep, that's it. That was it. <laughs> and it kind of stunk. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Yeah, so that was the first novel I'd ever read. Uh, and yeah, 12 or 13 years old, and made it all the way through it. And before, yep. I guess, I don't know if I fin- it took me forever to read that book. And it so, was a big book. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't remember if I finished it before we watched the movie or not. But anyway... I was pretty excited. I was super excited about this movie. Yep, I watched it before the I watched the movie for the first time with you as part of our book club. <laughs> um, and I remember I liked the book so much that I was a little disappointed in the movie. Okay, the first time I watched it, and I don't think I've watched it since then until we watched it this time. Yeah, it did not. I don't think it bothered me the the book to movie differences, and maybe have even helped a little bit because man, I got especially at 12 or 13 years old, uh, mm-hmm. trying to muscle through the gr- going fishing with grandpa's uh, chapters. Yeah. Were brutal. So I was glad to lose those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it might have helped a little up. bit. Todd, when, when did you watch it? I saw it, um, let's see, it was March, came out in March of 90, right? March of 1990. Uh which is kind of a weird. I think it was. It's kind of a weird release date for such a, at least a high profile picture at the time. Maybe maybe it wasn't as, maybe since it was the first Clancy novel. Yeah, 
it was the first Clancy novel that made it to the screen, right? Yeah, that's it was. Right. Okay. So maybe maybe that's why maybe they were just kind of testing the waters with it, no pun intended, to put it in in March. Um, but I remember going to see it, and I, I'm pretty sure I went with Bob McDaniel, uh, and and really really liked it. Okay, well, let's let's uh, pause right there and, and give everybody a breakdown since we always do that backwards. Yeah, uh, The Hunt for October is a 1990 film based on the book by Tom Clancy, which which, we, which we've covered, uh, directed by John McTiernan. Uh, of diehard fame and Predator, yep. yeah, Predator, uh, the last action hero, Die Hard with a Vengeance, had a budget of thirty million, uh, took in two hundred million at the box office. Ebert uh, gave it three and a half out of four stars. And guys, maybe this can be my first talking point. I, I was, I did not expect all the numbers to be so good on this thing. I had an impression of this thing that it wasn't received as well as it apparently was. But Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars. Rotten Tomatoes has it at eighty six percent to eighty eight percent audience. Wow! Users gave it higher than critics. That surprises me. Yeah, I'm not, I'm shocked at that number. The Rotten Tomato score. So, you know, this thing is well thought of and to this day. So I I just did not expect that. For some reason, I thought it was maybe just kind of came and went with the, you know, and was successful, but, uh, you know, mediocre uh, success. But I was wrong, obviously. Hmm. So what would you all think of it? Like watching it back 27 years after, like how did it hold up for you? I remembered this and still love the first act. Like mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think it's amazing and almost perfect. Um, I love the tension and the pacing and all the beats and pauses and the close-ups. You know, McTiernan gives you a lot of close-ups and looks. You know, everybody. You know, and and just building up kind of the suspense and. Uh, I love that in any movie when it's done well, and this one does it really well in the first third of the movie and just kind of building the stakes of what's going on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's my favorite part of the movie is that first third. Uh, but I like the rest of it too. Yeah. Todd, did, what did you think about it? Um, the, um, the thing I remember uh, when I first saw it and um, – and this is, I mean, so we're talking, what, 27 years ago? I mean, a long time ago. Uh, but the thing I remember about it more than anything, the, the only thing, I, it, it, it really stood out to me, but the, the, the final scene where um, Alec and uh, Sean are on the, you know, they're, a, a, you know, they're on the deck or whatever of the, uh, um, of the sub looking off, you know, and you got this <laughs> the horrible, the hero, horrible, horrible green screen. Oh, <laughs> and all I could think of, and then, yeah, like I said, this is 27 years ago. I should have been thinking about that, but honestly, I just was so, um, so that just took me out. So, it really did take me out there for a second. So put off by it, you decided to go negative with your first point of the whole conversation. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Because I, I can't, I can't. You know, it. McTiernan knew better. I'm with you though. Like that's that scene is really weird in how mm-hmm. bad it is. It stands out, uh, you know, like a sore thumb in the worst way. Because this movie looks expensive. Like when yeah. I when I saw that budget of thirty million, I'm like, uh, how much? I know. I, how much of our taxpayer dollars then paid for this movie? Because thirty million—that's a joke. Like this is a you know this is a hundred hundred fifty million dollar movie, easy. So the cast would be more than thirty million. Yeah, and I did read about it, and it did say the Navy was excited about this and just kind of gave them everything because they thought this was going to be their Top Gun for the submarine program. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, wow! It was it's amazing the uh, just what the the Navy did for them. There's so many locations, and it all looks so great, and it's it looks so expensive. But yeah, that, I just did so I don't. I'm with you. I don't understand that green screen scene at the end. It's horrible. Yeah, I mean it's it's almost like uh, they really did run out of money, and they really did <laughs> yeah. last scene last right. <laughs> what it feels like. Um, but 
but overall, I mean, I thought it was a really great, uh, great movie. I, I thought Alec was maybe a little, uh, maybe intimidated. It, it showed, at least in the beginning of the film, he looked like he, he wasn't exactly maybe 100% comfortable being that leading man to me. Um, but then he, he, he kind of moved into that because, I mean, it wasn't like he was a rookie or anything then. He had done some, he'd done work, he'd done you know, soap opera, soap operas and stuff like that. So he had, he's got the experience. He had some experience. It's just seemed like he, I don't know. It just seemed like he, it was like, just not, uh, the Alec we know, uh, mm. the, the calm bravado maybe. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's come back around Alec too. Cause I've got some thoughts on that. I also have read, brought in a lot of stuff about Alec. So Yeah. What about you? What were your what was your like uh, general takeaway? Uh, the, a couple things that really worked for me is um, like I, I have I have yet to see a movie that takes place at sea that it, that's not good. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that's just a good vehicle for a movie, especially submarine movies. Yeah, I mean you're talking some about some, some you know a handful of the greatest movies ever made like Das Boot and like yeah. what, like submarine movies are like baseball like ma- baseball makes great movies and yeah and boxing yeah makes great movies and being at sea makes great movies and you wouldn't think so because you're stuck on a boat yeah <laughs> but i guess yeah. the the suspense and the stakes are so high and the tension that it that it creates yeah. automatically yeah like u571 uh, is is a pretty good movie yeah and you said you don't think i think you said you never saw crimson tide but it's great yeah, yeah uh, that, master that commander was, with Sorry. Russell Crowe is really good. Yeah, U5, uh, I mean, uh, Crimson Tide, yeah, never seen it because that was, again, my loyalty came into play, and I was <laughs> I was not having it. I was Goodness. on Fred October. I'm, I'm I, sure they appreciate it. I wanted no part of Crimson Tide. I think it's time. <laughs> you think I can break that now? I think you can. Man, it's, I'm, man I'm tempted to completely change my force watch and go, but we're not <laughs> doing two submarine movies back-to-back, so never mind. <laughs> Um, never say never. Uh, yeah. Another thing, I, th- I, there are two things that I think this movie does that like makes a movie good. That that I think this movie does really really well. And the first one we kind of talked about before is that everybody in the movie thinks they're the good guy. Like if they were writing their own movie, they they all think they're doing the right thing. And I think that that makes for a great movie. And like you can understand all sides of this movie. You can understand everybody's point of view and why they think they're doing the right thing. Um, so that was very well set up. And also, I thought that they, they did a good job with the one. Like, I like it when one character absolutely 100% knows he's right. And they make you feel the tension of him trying to get everybody else on board. And like Jack Ryan knew he was onto something in this and trying to convince all the other characters that I know I'm right and this is why. Like, I loved how they, they did that throughout the entire movie. I thought that was a, a pretty good fabric that was woven through there. Yeah. I thought the, the humor in this thing, you know, works. All the, you know, it, it does it. Talking about things that good movies do, like, you've got all that suspense and you've got all that tension, and they can, they give you at just the right moments, like some nice uh, comic relief in little bits that all work. Like, I like all the jokes. Um, and they're perfectly done. And like uh, when uh, Jack Ryan kind of goes at uh, the Joint Chiefs or whoever they are, right. and, and James Earl kind of grabs his arm, and then afterwards he says, like, you know, I told you to speak your mind, but Jesus, Jack, or something yeah. like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like some good little jokes in there and levity uh, that break it up. And speaking of James Earl, I mean, the cast in this thing is oh my goodness. gosh. Amazing. Yeah, Scott, Scott Glenn was incredible. Yes, in yeah. absolutely. And I fell in love with Scott Glenn uh, because of this movie. Like, I didn't like, I didn't seek out his movies afterwards, but I loved him and loved his character. And it's like, I just believe that he's a sub driver, you know, that mm-hmm. he's a captain. Yeah. Yep. Um, James Earl Jones, this might be my favorite role of his. Like, he's just perfect in it. Now, I haven't seen a ton of James Earl's work, and I'm sure he, I can think of at least one more. Um, what am I thinking of, Ty? That this is his real calling card. His penultimate work. Yeah. Well, you know, he had. Uh, well, of course, he's the voice of Vader, but um, <laughs> yeah. 
the uh, I mean, you know, he had that he had that really great role, uh, and it was kind of a minor role, but uh, in Field of Dreams. Yeah, I uh, absolutely great role. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Probably his and, probably his greatest performance, I guess, would be Vader in Episode Three. And yeah, yeah, and and screaming no, yeah, that's probably yeah, it's probably, <laughs> yeah, that's it. it's probably his best. <laughs> <one. laughs> Didn't he have a pretty big role in Doctor Strangelove? Yeah, yeah, maybe he did. I, and I, I thought to, he was pretty good in that too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of my favorite movies, and then I'm having trouble remembering his part in in that. It was like one of my top five movies of all time. Yeah, I think like his like Zog, Lieutenant Zog, or something was it. <laughs> um, wow, that sound right. Uh, but Sarsgard in a, like a, a small yeah. role in this yeah. thing. And Sam Neill. He's one. Uh, yes, yeah, Sam Neill was. Sam Neill was great. Tim Curry was great. Two two people Curry, who have made yeah. two actors who have made it into our. Uh, our quick film thoughts on the website, by the way, both of those guys have gotten. Yeah. Some, and Skarsgård, Skarsgård was one that I'd forgotten it was in this until I watched it again. Yeah. Uh, Cause I had completely forgotten mm-hmm. uh, in, in there. Now James Earl Jones was the narrator for judge dread, the 95. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. About. Right. The, the Rob Schneider version. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he um yeah. What are you, you going to do? Um yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to go back to find uh to find him. He was in I mean, he really he was such a great supporting actor. Um And that's 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 weird whatever that is. Yeah. Um and Courtney B Vance uh, yeah. yeah, the guy that plays Johnny Cochran in the People versus O.J. Simpson. I, I, I really liked him back then. This was before he got his teeth fixed, too, right? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't pay special attention to his teeth. E- I, easy, Todd. I'm hey, nothing against Courtney or his or his chompers, but I'm just saying there is obvious. There's a little. There's a little change in his. In Man. his. Uh, in his, I guess his two front teeth, maybe. There's one. It looks, it looks a little, looks a little off. That's all wow. I'm saying. Wow, I, I, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't back uh, Todd up on this. I mean, he's out on a, on a limb on that one. Wow. If he wants to pick on Courtney B. Vance's teeth, uh, jeez, man, I, I, I couldn't go there, Todd. Hey, listen, Court. <laughs> Gracious. Well, well, if if everybody just knew about the deleted scene, huh? yeah. <laughs> well, they never, they never will. <laughs> They'll never know. Hey, uh, hey don't forget uh, Thulsa Doom and Conan the Barbarian. The major. Oh, yeah, battle. yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, he obviously played. Uh, he played Alex Haley in uh, in Roots, the Next Generation. Um, man, he's he's done. Uh, he's done a crud load of work. It's like, where do you start with James Earl Jones? Um, do you count Mufasa? Yeah, Lion King. That's right. Yeah. That's I mean, big. And yes, uh, Strange Love was it. He was in Strange Love as Zog. So yeah, I thought it was Zog or something like that. Yeah, Neil before Zog. But anyway, right. <laughs> come on, more James Earl Jones talk. <laughs> the cast is is amazing, yeah, uh, t- top to bottom. Uh, I think everybody does a, a awesome job, except Victor from. Uh, from Sarsgaard's ship, who's mm. the absolute worst, and every, <laughs> everything, every single line of him, his is extremely urgent and passion-filled, except the one that should be when he's <laughs> at the end, where he says something like, "You are an ass. You've killed us all," or something like that, and he says it with no passion. But everything, right. every single other line he says, like I, I encourage people to watch it and pay special attention to Victor. Captain, where are we going? (laughs) Calm down, Victor. Everything is like that. So you're saying he and Eric from Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 (laughs) could really put on a (laughs) two-man. What what do you all think about the device in there to switch from Russian to uh, English? I thought it was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I like 
Yeah, I did like it. I found it weird even as a kid when I watched that. It was yeah. it's the only time I've ever seen it done, and I did think it was interesting back then. And I still to this day, I'm just not sure. I don't. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like yeah. I, I can imagine people picking on it and like roasting that, or I can imagine people thinking, "Hey, that's a neat way to do that." Todd, yeah, I mean, you... I've never seen it done before since, and I thought it was kind of. I mean, it's it's inventive. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I guess I, you know, I, I, I saw it and I was like, I, I enjoyed it when I first, you know, when it, when I first noticed it, I was like, you know, you see that, see that slow dolly in on his mouth and then yeah. mm-hmm. you start, you know, then we start hearing it. Um, but you know, after that, then it was fun. It was funny to hear the, uh, um, Sean Connery's Scottish accent. Scottish Russian. And I, and by I was by way of Lithuania. Yeah. And I was reading a story too that that said like that that was talking about his Russian accent. I'm like, what Russian accent? <laughs> it, it was even, it was a point about when at one time when he drops out of his Russian accent to say something. I was like, what are you talking about? It's the, yeah. It's the Sean Connery. He doesn't ever do accents ever. Nope. Well, just, except for his. Yeah, it's just his weird Scottish, and that's all he ever does. He never even makes an attempt, so I didn't know what they were talking about. Which, yeah, it, it, that's a kind of a little funny quirk about this movie is like you just you just got to get on board with this is Connery. Uh, yeah. And and talking about the cast and stuff, uh, that's one factoid about the movie is he is a last second replacement. Hmm. Oh really? Yes, he was. Uh, I mean, I- he he was indeed, and I have the guy's name written down that he replaced somewhere. Um, but yeah, this is good pod. <laughs> <laughs> Can we name some more James Earl Jones roles? While <laughs> yeah, while well, well, I'm trying to he find was, it, he was in uh, he was in Fairy Tale Theater, see the Van Winkle episode. Mm-hmm. He was the uncredited narrator. <laughs> Thanks. So there you go. And I have to say this because this is probably one of the greatest character names ever. He was in Alan Quartermain in the Lost City of Gold back in 1986. And his character's name was Um Sloppagost. Oh, my. <laughs> People thought we were joking about continuing with that. Yeah. Yeah. He was also in one of my favorite uh, It's So Bad It's Good movies starring Eric Roberts' Best of the Best as the coach for the United States martial arts team. Gee, Eric. Jesus. (laughs) Dayhan. There's my James Earl Jones impression. All right, Todd. So Klaus Maria Brandauer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him. He was in... uh... I knew if anybody oh, would. Literally the first time I've ever heard his name. He was a coach. Oh, gosh, he played a coach in some movie. Uh, hang on. He was Klaus. Klaus Marie. He was in Out of Africa. Um, and he... The Toto song? He co- <laughs> He actually co-starred with, uh, with Connery in The Russia House. So how about that? Yeah, it, was, it was also in 1990, so it was a Russia heavy year. Well, I will tell you exactly which movie I'm thinking about with Klaus Marie Brandauer, because he was some. He was like a. Uh, it seemed like he he played like a. Gosh, a skating coach or something. I don't know. It's. I'm sure that's not it at all. But it was some. <laughs> it was something like that. He was some kind of a. A mentor. So listen, as the only guy that knows who he is and has and remembers his work, uh, how do you feel about? Do you think it w- the movie would have been better with him, or would you have gone with Connery? Oh, definitely Connery. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Brandauer had to drop out because of some prior commitment that came up, and apparently, like when it says last minute, it means it because Connery came in and he asked for one day of rehearsal, and then they started. Wow. The, the movie gone. I was thinking about was Streets of Gold from 1986 with Brandauer. It, it's, he's a boxer. Uh, he's like a – it's a boxing movie or something, and he's uh, – I think he's like the, their coach or something. So look it up, everybody. Because yep. you know you're going to. 
Streets of Gold. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and and speaking of Connery and people doing great performances, this might be my second favorite performance of his. Really? Yeah, behind uh, The Untouchables. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, he was pretty good in that. Like, for... for and, and that's amazing to me. You know, the guy comes in with one day of, you know, rehearsal. And, and nobody's ever tried to say Sean Connery's one of the greatest actors of all time. But, you know, I think this was a, a really good role for him. I think he did a great job. And, and there was one thing that stood out to me at the beginning of the movie. And, and this helps having read the book. I don't think it would have struck me as much if I hadn't read the book. But the moment where... <clears throat> Uh, the everybody in the in the submarine, his crew is singing the national anthem, singing the Russian anthem, and right. Sam Neill says, you know, Captain, like because they've gone silent, and should mm-hmm. should we let them keep singing, basically? And Connery stops and listens, and what he's communicating in his face, like that's some great acting right there. Yeah. Like I I know exactly what's going on in that head, and 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 yeah. and the, the the gears turning, and the conflict that's in him. And then he says, let him sing. And it's like just a really great little moment from Connery. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I noticed that too. Because he, he, he kind of, yeah, he just gave it a little bit. And mm-hmm. you could tell he was thinking about it and how much it meant to those men to be able to carry on. Yeah, and what it used to mean to him. Like, you know, that yeah. he, he's, he's, he's still got somewhere in his heart that he, he you know, he wishes he could, you know, maybe have that, have that patriotic feel or, but, uh, you know, it was it was just good stuff. Conversely, um, I could not stand listening to him chew his food. Oh my a, gosh! Yes, holy crap! That was loud. The 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 scene with the meal. I remember. Yes. I it's to me ever since I was a kid. It's the worst eating scene in any movie. <laughs> holy! It is so just some laugh. Like that microphone must have been in his jaw. The yeah, Sean Connery eating fish in the Hunt for October is the worst uh, food noises you'll ever hear in your life. Look it up, and it's just he's really he's really going at it, and he's got he's got his lips puckered out. Oh my gosh, it's the worst. He ate the H out of that (laughs) tilapia. It was so bad. Yeah, and oh man, uh, and friend of the show Michael Startsman uh, hates eating on in movies more than anything he is he is unreasonably annoyed by it uh so i would i would definitely think that uh, this would rank high and he should check it out yeah <laughs> if he hates eating on film this has to be uh, take the cake yeah, this think. is a top-notch chewing scene <laughs> but does it does it come close to matching brad pitt in burn before reading or burn after reading because he's eating every second that he's not dead. Yeah, it's true. But this is some loud smacking. Some, and you hear like the internal like saliva in his mouth swishing around. <laughs> it's just gross. Hey man, that's that's how the Scots do it. I guess so. <laughs> well, yep. it pretty it pretty much is. I never shut my mouth and just stick my lips out and. <laughs> Just fuck her up and act like I'm kissing the food. (laughs) Just kind of taste every... (laughs) Well, let me tell you something, Money Penny. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's he's going all out. We talked a lot of Connery. Do we want to move on to Alec? Yeah, that's my good... I think that's one of the reasons you chose this, too, was (laughs) you wanted to explore Alec as as a leading man a little bit. Let's do that. Yeah. Um... So Todd already has voiced his, you know, didn't feel he was maybe up to the task, especially in early scenes. I didn't get, I personally felt like uh, Alex good in this. And I, and I was on board for his performance pretty much the whole way through. And I liked what they were doing. I thought he was good in, in those opening scenes. Maybe I'm a Homer. I don't know, but I, I was, I was on board. How about you, Alan? I liked I like I liked pretty much everything he did except for it, it bumped me a little bit in that scene where he's trying to chase down the shooter yeah. and he's trying to give the 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 badass one liners yeah that's not his that's that's not his uh, forte um th- those things didn't come off well 
Yeah. I didn't think everything else worked for me that Alec did. Like the stuff in the airplane um, was with like all that stuff was good. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, when he like he was so determined to get onto the submarine that he dropped into that mm-hmm. Arctic water. And I, I'm like, I like I, I bought all that stuff. The only thing I didn't buy was when he was trying to when he was trying to go a little bit of uh, John McClane yeah. there um, for a couple scenes and that kind of. But other than that, I thought I, I, I mean, I completely bought it. And it like. Looking back, it surprises me he didn't get another Jack Ryan shot. Uh, and I've got the facts on that and why that happened, because I'd never known, so I looked it up. Oh, good, good. Because um, they went Affleck next. No, they went Harrison right? Ford next. Harrison Ford, yeah. So some of all fears was before was after the, the uh, Harrison Ford ones? It was kind yeah. of a reboot, because uh, Harrison did, what was it, Patriot Games first and then Clear and Present Danger, right? Right. And... Um, I mean, I don't know. Why don't you, why don't you tell the story? Because I, <laughs> when you yeah. when there was mention of it, I was under the assumption that uh, I didn't know that they had offered it to Harrison a Hunt for Red October. I didn't know that they had offered that to Harrison first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, they went into negotiations after the Hunt for Red October, um, and. It, the stories that I've read basically come down to um, they corroborate a little bit and, and then they diverge a little bit about kind of whose fault it was, but it's Alec uh, versus David uh, Kirkpatrick. Basically they got gridlocked in negotiations and Kirkpatrick says Alec wouldn't approve the script. And, uh, and so they got hung up on that and, some people say money also. Uh, and Alex says, so that's Kirkpatrick's view. Alex says, feels like it had more to do with Harrison and that, uh, because McTiernan was doing a movie with Harrison Ford at the time calls Alec Baldwin, uh, when he's on the road one day, like going up to see his mother who'd gotten cancer. Uh, so he's on the road. McTiernan calls him and he, says I'm doing this movie with Harrison Ford and Harrison is telling me that Paramount's negotiating with him uh to take over the Jack Ryan role that they owe him money you know to give him a role and to pay him and he's got you know obviously he was a bigger box office draw so they were negotiating with him at the same time so Alex pretty ticked off to this day about that and feels like they were they were doing that and um Either way, they both agree that Kirkpatrick gives Alec an ultimatum, says, okay, you know, you got to accept it, uh, accept it right now as it is, or we're going somewhere else. And uh, Alec had um, it on the table. to He, he had been offered uh, a streetcar named Desire on Broadway, and so he said he didn't want to give that up, so he chose a streetcar. And then it goes to Harrison Ford, who they wanted to use anyway. So that's hmm. how he lost the role. And I mean, I, and what's funny is because you've got, you know, you've got Harrison taking the um, taking over that role, but then Harrison also took the role in The Fugitive, and Alec had first dibs at that. When The Fugitive came out, hmm. it was offered. To Alec Baldwin yeah. first, he turned it down. I just thought that was kind of you know, oh wow, he's he's like you know, Ford's getting his you know sloppy seconds or whatever. I guess. And here's a nice little line. Uh, according to Baldwin, uh, McTiernan asked Harrison Ford if he was aware that Paramount was still negotiating with Baldwin to return as Jack Ryan in the sequel, and Ford's reply, according to McTiernan, was "F him." <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah but did you know that they were still working with him that's the that's the question there. so how about that from mctiernan like working with harrison ford at the time and yeah and like he must have been boys with alec to call him up and and put himself Don't in the joke. middle of that and you know and kind of rat that all out who do we who do you guys like more i mean do are you have you can you remember the 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 ford movies well enough to you know, claim a favorite who who was the better Jack Ryan? Other than Affleck, of course. 
Right. Well, Affleck won. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and don't forget, Chris Pine's in the mix now. Yep. Did, he, did anybody watch that one? I haven't. No. I haven't either. Um, I liked Harrison Ford better, personally, mm-hmm. as Jack Ryan. I wanted to to watch one of those uh, before we did this, so I could I could give an up to date. I'm gonna guess I probably liked Harrison Ford better. Um, yeah, and and he brought a little more to the role, but I did like Alec. You know, I did too. Also, so, but I I would probably have to guess that I would go Harrison if if I were the one doing the casting. I will say this of those three movies of Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, and Hunt for Red October. Hunt for Red October is the best film of the three. Yeah. Without um, that's because when true. Patriot Games, Patriot Games, and Clear and Present Danger. Golly, I mean, both of them, they, they felt to me like kind of cookie-cutter, you know, movies. Mm. Uh, Patriot Games, if I remember correctly, there's a scene at the end that ends in his beach house, and it's almost like a – I felt like I was watching a Halloween movie um, without Michael Myers in it. So, um, so that – I guess that probably – I was a little bummed out that, you know, they didn't have – you know, that they didn't do something different. Clear and present danger. I can't even really remember hardly anything about it um, at all. Um, but yeah, looking looking at those movies, yeah, I think Hunt for Red October was the more intelligent made movie. I thought it was, um, yeah, I thought it flowed better, had better <clears throat> better suspense, uh, better characters, better just much better written. It and, is a movie that you better be ready to invest in it if you're going to watch it or you will get confused quickly. Yeah. Especially as like a kid, I could not follow. And, and this is why people didn't want to make the movie. Nobody wanted to make the movie because they thought it would be too complicated. And I, mm-hmm. I, I did have a hard time following the sabotage, all the sabotage stuff. Like, you know, what were they, inti- what did they intentionally do? What did the, the cook do? You know, yeah. and I'm like, which is the, which was the part they wanted to happen and which part was right, right. like, where they was, <laughs> that, that can get con- really confusing if you're, if you're not really dialed into it. Yeah. Um, I but, also thought it was weird. Like just, well, I would know we were on Alec, but one thing I did find weird was that they, it was obvious to me, maybe maybe this isn't the case, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it, it seemed obvious to me that they were using different lighting to um, differentiate between the different submarines. And they used blue for the Red October and red for the, uh, I don't think it was the Dallas, I think it was the other ship, and then green for the Dallas. I was like, why don't you use red for the Red October? Yeah. Would that have been too on the nose, maybe, you think? But I thought it was weird that they used the blue lighting for the Red October. I don't know. Just a weird observation. But Alec is a leading man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, you know, one thing I can say about that that I wanted to look at is why he didn't work as a leading man. And I don't think he did anything wrong here, and I think he did a good job. Um, So there's nothing here that indicates that, that... you know, he's unbankable, but maybe it was a mistake for him to let it slip past him, not to continue doing, you know, stay in the Jack Ryan role. That yeah, may- maybe. Maybe that would have helped because uh, cause he does kind of slide away. But, you know, it, there were some failures in there too, and almost made us watch The Shadow because uh, oh. I, <laughs> I couldn't remember. Wow. How bad it was or not. Maybe, uh, maybe next time. Hey, I'll watch The Shadow. Just don't make me watch The Marrying Man. Oh, my God. Yeah, he did some bad stuff, did he? Yeah, he did. Uh, and so probably the answer might lie in some of those other movies that he chose to do. Yeah, maybe so. And now, he, Go ahead. I was going to say the the one that there was a remake with with uh, his with his wife, with Basinger. The Getaway. The Getaway, Get yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, Steve McQueen definitely did that one better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by far, I, what, what did what did you all think about um, just you know? I mean, you go back twenty seven years to him, and he. I mean, I don't know how old Alec was in nineteen ninety, but God, he looks like he's yeah, super uh, young. Ten year, ten years removed from college at the most. Yeah, um, he's fifty nine now, so that was twenty seven years ago. So he'd have been thirty two. 
Okay. And I mean, you know, and his voice has changed so much. So much of Alec Baldwin is about his voice, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I think it's, uh, it's a, you know, and if you go back even, let's see, that was 90. If you go back a four years before, and he had, in my opinion, one of his best roles, and it's a very brief supporting role, but it was in a movie called uh, She's Having a Baby. John Hughes directed it. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen it or not, but Kevin Bacon's in it. And Alec Baldwin plays Kevin Bacon's uh, best friend from, uh, I guess, college. Um and he's just a really despicable human being. Uh, but he was so, I mean, even more skinny and more, mm. um, more youthful looking, but just, man, that he, such a good character. If you've never seen it, that really is a good movie. She's having a baby. It's a good John Hughes. Um, I think he directed. Yeah. Came out right after, I believe, um, planes, trains and automobiles and, uh, Alec Baldwin's characters in it spot on. He's just, such a despicable person, but very funny. Scott Glenn was 49 at the time. Does that make anybody feel old? He was 49 and... Wow. Golly. Yep. Uh, and before we totally get off the cast, uh, Fred Thompson. Fred Dalton. Yeah. I loved Fred Thompson after I saw this movie. And, yep. I, and I had no idea he was a politician. And when I found that out, I was like, I want this dude to be the president. Uh, I'm I'm running out of I'm running out of thoughts on this movie. Just a, f- a few little quick hitters that I had. Uh, cinematography. I got one more thing on Alec too, but go ahead. Oh well, let's do that. Let's stay let's stay on Alec real quick. Okay. Well, I just read a, a like we were talking about him being a leading man, and I read this quote I thought was interesting from him uh, directly. Um, he said, "I consider my entire movie career a complete failure." Wow. The goal of movie making is to star in a film where your performance drives the film. And the film is either a soaring critical or commercial success, and I never had that. And the interviewing interviewer asked him about the Hunt for Red October, and he said it was successful because it was a Tom Clancy novel, not because he was in it. Yeah, that's well, kind of sad, isn't it? It is. That's the way he looks back and sees it. Yeah, it's a little bit sad. It's not entirely untrue, I don't think. That's true. Um, it's a little bit sad. It's it's very humble, I would say. Yeah, you know for him and and self-aware for him to say that like because he could easily say uh you know i worked with a bunch of people that sucked and but you know what i think the fact that maybe um he didn't continue on that path of being a leading man i think it's led to better roles for him Mm, in the long run i think he's uh he's he's a multi he's a multiple threat kind of guy because Nobody would have thought of Alec Baldwin as this, you know, comic juggernaut. Yeah. Uh, regardless of what he was doing on SNL, I mean, everybody that really knew who he was, they saw him in, you know, in movies. Um, and I think the fact that he's, you know, he's doing, you know, he's kind of under the radar. I mean, everybody knows who he is, but he gets to do role. I mean, he he's going to get calls from Wes Anderson. He's going to get calls from really you know, accomplished uh, creative people that are going to want him involved in their projects. And would he have had that if he had stayed on that, you know, path of being the leading man and done, you know, 17 Jack Ryan movies? I don't know. I don't know if that would have happened or not, but I just think, I think his, you know, the career happened the way it happened. And I think, I mean, I've, I've been impressed with his body of work for the most part. I mean, I can't watch marrying man, obviously, but, uh, Somebody could definitely, you know, make the argument that he has been a failure as a leading man, but you definitely can't make the argument that he isn't, you know, successful as a film actor because, especially as a character actor, he's had some yeah. some great roles, and uh, you know the other, you know, even the narration on the Wes Anderson stuff, but uh, uh, some he's been in some Scorsese things that you know people loved uh, the the movie with William H Macy. Uh, was it the cooler? Maybe people loved him in that. Yeah, yeah um, he was good in the cooler. Um, he was good in. Uh, oh shoot! Um, box uh, baby. Yeah, boss <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. Right. That made the box office smash, boss baby. So yeah. Don't tell me he can't fill a he can't fill an auditorium. That's right. Oh, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, set of steak knives. I mean, everybody says set of steak knives. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and uh, reprised the role in that awesome SNL sketch with the elves. Yeah, always be cobbling. <laughs> it's a great yeah. sketch. And also in uh, in uh, gosh, Boss Baby, um, he's having a little meeting with all these other little babies, and <laughs> one of the one of the babies one of the babies is eating cookies, and he goes over and snatches them away, and he's like. Cookies are for closers. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, everybody goes to that well now. Genius. Mm. Yes, exactly. Um, so, okay, so quick hitters. Yeah. Uh, cinematography by Jan DeBont. Thought it was well done. You know, great. And uh, Academy Awards uh, for sound design and editing, and I think that that was absolutely deserved. The editing is great mm-hmm. uh, you can, people can learn a lot from it uh thinking about like uh, the cut from spilled coffee to the phone ringing and the pacing there um if people <laughs> have seen it then they know what i'm talking about and if they haven't then uh then uh like uh harrison ford f them <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> it's getting late, everybody. It's getting late. Uh, one interesting thing that I noted was, and I, I thought you could tell, uh, the the uh, great mind of John Milius did an uncredited rewrite on this thing. Uh, great, great screenwriter, John Milius. Uh, he supposedly rewrote all, Rus- all the Russian dialogue and some other things. Mm. And uh, it is a very tight script. And, and uh, yep. I'd say... Uh, no surprise there that Milius was involved. Um, you know, Tim Curry, we, we said has a role in this. Uh, it would, you know, he would have probably, he probably, when this movie came out, he was probably shooting his version of, uh, it at the same time. Cause it came out that fall on oh, wow. yeah. TV. Uh, so he was kind of, you know, Tim Curry, was having a career resurgence at that time because you saw him. You saw him in Red October. He did it later. Uh, he did uh, Home Alone two. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he did he did the the Oscar with the uh, with the uh, Stallone. So I mean, he was you know he had kind of been this forgotten guy after you know Doctor Frankenfurter, and now all of a sudden he's kind of back in the you know back in back in the. The public eye, so to speak. It was his heyday, and man, I love Tim Curry. I really yeah. do. He's amazing. The voice yep. and the face. Yeah. Um, and then, what was the other? There was one other thing, I, one other point I had for Red, Red October. Um, oh, um, and just, you know, you talk about you talk about McTiernan, who directed this, and he was kind of on a roll. I mean, you know, he had done, you know, the – you know, he had done um, Predator and um, oh shoot, and Die Hard before this. So this is like you know his third in a row, huge, huge action type movie. Although this wasn't as big of an action movie, let's say, as the others. But right, but he was on top of it. Yeah, uh, and kind of just, I mean, and you know, it's it's sad. He's he's been in prison for I think wire fraud. Uh, it's, it's a sad kind of story. He hasn't really, I don't think he's directed a movie since, uh, the last movie he directed it was the movie with Travolta basic, which I didn't see. Um, but he, you know, he kind of, you know, he, he kind of dropped off after red October. I think he did get another movie with, uh, Sean Connery called medicine man. And it was horrible. Yes, it really was. Bad. And that was so bad. <laughs> I, uh, I watched it cause yeah, I was, I was fanboy for sure. And I mean, it was, I was so disappointed in that awful. And it's almost like okay, yeah, I know, I know you've had however many big hits in a row, and now you want to do your passion project. But there's got to be something you've got to be more passionate about than this, because <laughs> um, he did that, and I think he did Last Action Hero, which was supposed to be like a, you know, the the movie of the summer, whenever it was in the mid '90s, and it was Schwarzenegger, and it had a neat concept, and it just, man, it tanked big time. I love the uh, bit. I love the very beginning of the film, where were you? Uh, sorry, I cut you off, didn't I? No, you didn't. All right, 
Uh, I love the very beginning of this film too, by the way, where you're getting just the tracking shot and it's been used before in several films, but I, I, you know, I like it and uh, you're going, you're moving across his stuff as he's packing and you see the books he reads and kind of the state his office is in and, Mm -hmm. and just building character with that opening shot over uh, during the credits. And like, I thought, you know, I think it's really well done and does a great job of, of, you know, starting to build who this guy is in your mind, and then you you know immediately follow that up with the little scene in the airplane, and you get that he hates flying, and the little, you know him watching the little cup uh, and the turbulence and all that stuff. Uh, I think those are just great little moments, uh, you know, and people can take lessons about you know building character and and not doing it through dialogue. And another thing about the uh, the air the airplane flight when you know when the the co-pilot's in there and he's like eating stuff and talking about vomit stories and yeah. stuff. And that of course is the great late, great Rick Ducommon who of course. a perfect, who played the perfect psycho. Well, not psycho, but the perfect obnoxious neighbor in the burbs. Another yes, yep. no yeah. flick. He was awesome in that. I knew I recognized him from somewhere. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. And he, uh, and he passed away, I think in the last year. I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, the burps is good. Yeah. So should we move on and 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 find out what we're going to be watching next? Or? Yeah, let's do that. Also, speaking of Tom Clancy, best piece one of maybe one of the top three pieces of fiction I've ever read is a Tom Clancy book called Without Remorse. And if you have not read that or have not heard of it, I highly recommend it. It's incredible. Yeah, I'll second that. And watching this movie made me want to watch uh, read The Hunt for October again and uh and i definitely want to read uh without remorse sometime in the in the next few years because it was yeah. I, I read all of clancy's main stretch of jack ryan books and without mm-hmm. remorse was my favorite it's it doesn't follow jack ryan but it's in that universe and uh it is i can't believe it was movie. never made into a movie because it would lend itself great yeah i mean perfectly for a, for a good movie but anyway have you read it todd I have not. I haven't read. I, actually, I've not even read a single Clancy book. Yeah, I mean they're hard to get into if you're if you're not like into that stuff. But but without remorse would be a good standalone. If if I mean it's just it's a good book. But anyway. Yeah. All right. So on to uh, Force Watch. So we reveal the winner now, I guess, at this point. Uh, and for Get the ready. first time ever. Congratulations. Here we go. Man. Slow clapping me in. Uh, I, I appreciate the folks over at uh, Logan Lucky, or as Todd called it last time, Lucky Logan. <laughs> <laughs> that's for, what happens when you're 50 it makes more sense it, it sounds like it makes yeah, more it sense. does for completely crapping the bed in their box office and uh going almost half of what i guessed and i guess lower than anybody yeah i guess 12 million they barely did 7 million so um thanks guys you got me my first win by by being so bad at people coming to watch your movie um <laughs> i guess so for my I guess that uh, that the uh, what the PR attempt by uh, Channing Tatum in Kentucky driving from town to small town may not have equaled box office dollars. Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. But to my benefit, so I, I don't I don't mind it this time. Um, so we are going to watch uh, a, a classic film. And the reason we're going to watch it is because uh, a podcast I listened to brought it up and talked about how ridiculously awesome it is. So we're going to revisit Sylvester Stallone as Cobra Eddie. <laughs> no, we're not going to watch Cobra. Are we? Cobra. <laughs> oh, no. We're going to watch Cobra, everybody. Oh, man. I just excited. I just started watching Cobra because I'd never seen it the other day. Oh yes! And I thought to myself, I wonder if this is any good. And I oh, got, it's... I got like six minutes in and said, Nope. <laughs> it's awful. Wow. 
It's awful, and we're going to watch it. I purposely haven't watched it, even though this podcast really made me want to watch it. I purposely haven't, so that when <laughs> when the time came that I got to do Force Watch, I would make you all watch it with me. So, so that we can we can break this thing down. Did you hear that, everybody? We're using code names. <laughs> so Cobra, it is. Cobra um, Kai. Cobra Kai. And then there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing coming out this week at the box office. But next weekend, uh, it will be released. So that is what we will gamble on this time. And Alan has to tell us if we're uh, going to guess the box office take. Oh, that's right. Or uh, the Rotten Tomato score after the first weekend. Yeah, that's right. Well, there are no early releases on. On Rotten Tomatoes, so we would completely be going blind into that. We haven't done that in a while. We're going to do. Let's do Rotten Tomatoes and let's do uh, critic score, not top critics and not users, just critics. Okay. All right. So I'll go first, since I am the victor this week. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> um, gosh, it's a horror movie, so it's really hard to tell. But the oh, horror yeah. movies are doing better with this stuff lately like annabelle was way up there annabelle was in the 80s right uh critics was it yeah i think it was um let me look that's crazy if it is i mean i think it was i think it was like 83 or something critics annabelle creation not 68 right now yeah 73 users Hey, lucky logan's 93 percent. it's crazy how terrible it did at the box office but anyway uh i'm gonna say for it, I'm going to say 77. All right, 77. Who's next? Todd is the runner-up. You get to go second. I stunk it up. Well, how did I you know? Go second? Yep, yep. All right. Say so it. you did what, 77? I did 77. Okay. Oh, I'm going to say... Okay, critic score. I'm gonna go. Um, gosh, man, it. I'm I'm horrible at at Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I guess I will go with. Um, this is a tough one because horror doesn't do well, and Stephen King movies don't grade well. No, they don't. They on don't. Rotten Tomatoes, so. And I mean, and his. I've never. I've never. I don't think I've ever seen a. Stephen King movie where it was just, you know, uh, the majority, you know, really likes this movie, you know, uh, and the critics, they're always split. Every, every yeah. King movie is always a split affair. It seems like misery, maybe misery might be the highest, maybe stand by me, even though it's not stand a, by me. yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank. What's that? <laughs> maybe Shawshank. Let's see what Shawshank <laughs> I can't. Ninety-one uh, and ninety-eight. It's you know, it's not man, too bad. It's decent. <laughs> I think maybe we should digress and say Stephen King horror doesn't do well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's do that. Uh, yeah. I don't know what I. You know. I mean, there. If you go with Stephen King horror, um, well, let, all right. So if we go to Dead Zone, Dead Zone's got a ninety percent. Todd. <laughs> enough research we can't research these name a number he's gonna take every stephen king horror movie and he's gonna average the scores yeah. and that's what he's gonna pick all right look, seven more just hang on a second. <laughs> um okay i'm going to go with um gosh misery's at 89 percent. by the way misery's at 89 that zone's at 90 i'm gonna go um <laughs> Golly, I'm pinched either way. Unless I, unless I, unless I say seventy nine, um, because I know Scott's not going to go into the seventies with it. I know he's not. Um, Pet Cemetery's at forty six. Yeah, I, I, I'd give it that because I didn't really like it. I, I love the book. The book's a great book, and there's a lot of people that love that movie, but. It is not a great movie by any stretch. It's just one of those guilty pleasure type things. All right. Um, I'm going to go with 79%. Wow. All right. You guys and are I'm probably 
I'm stupid for doing it. I'm, I have I f- have faith in the movie, and uh, Stephen King loves it. He thinks it's awesome. But you know, who knows? You guys, and are I think seventy seven and seventy nine. Yeah, and I think our love of this of this story is probably uh, tampering what we definitely should vote, but. Whatever. That's, that's definitely for me, I know. Yeah, me too. It might be time to bring out old Bob Barker. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to say 76 and take you this You bastard! <laughs> oh, my, God. My, finger, my fingers were crossed. Guess, <laughs> guess who's winning this thing? Good grief. I'm... I, <laughs> I've got like it can only land on one number for me to win. Two numbers, seventy-seven or seventy-eight, for me to win. I have zero chance. <laughs> like I'd literally have a two percent chance to win this game. <laughs> well, that's what happens. <laughs> Gracious sakes! I wish that man. I what? I'm I'm glad I'm not a scumbag. <laughs> Golly, I think this is the ninth, <laughs> the ninth game we played, and I think I've been barkered seven times. That's what happens when you win one. <laughs> this is the first one I've won. I still get barkered. <laughs> oh, golly. Well, I guess I better. You enjoy that cobra then, <laughs> jerk. I'm glad I picked it. Oh, man. I was going to say, I could be nice, because I was going to say, like, actually try to make a genuine guess. Yeah, don't, don't, don't do anything human like that. <laughs> <laughs> Scott is the dirty, he's the Ric Flair of Force Watch. He's the dirtiest player in the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good. What are you going to do? If I voted with my head and not my heart, I'd probably say somewhere around 63, low 60s. Yeah. But I want it to be good. So, anyway, well, who cares? I don't have a chance of winning. So, whatever. <laughs> I hope you all enjoy your movie next week. <laughs> I can see the, <clears throat> the overlap going from 40s to 80. You know, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Let's, I'm just saying. Let's give you a little a little more of a window. And I'll say cuz I was gonna say 72. I'll 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 drop You're giving me a puncher's chance. I'll drop the gamesmanship. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like to win. But I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know if I want you to do that. I like you being the villain in this game. <laughs> All right, then go ahead and keep I it think you should, I want you to stick. All right. Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't Hold it. Todd's getting on his Harley. Yeah, yes, it's time to go. We've been podcasting for two and a half hours, so I think it's time to get out of here. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening and thank you for sharing. Get on iTunes on your mobile device, even. Is on the water and getting. Uh, what is, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. On the water, guys. <laughs> on the water, on your iPhones. Get on there. Give us a review. Uh, give us some stars, and we appreciate it for the dirtiest player in the game, Scott Stafford, for Todd Sheen. This is Alan Martin reminding you to walk softly and talk hard. Well, I hope you come to see me in the movie. And I know that you will plainly see. Biggest fool that's ever hit the big time. And all I gotta do is act naturally. I meant, I meant to talk about the the um, soundtrack. Oh yeah, did you like the soundtrack? Good. I did. I thought it was great. I owned the soundtrack. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. You don't remember that? It it added to little weirdo with the book. <laughs> <laughs> with <laughs> reading The Hunt for October at 13 years old and also going on every school and youth group trip with, yeah, playing the that. Soundtrack. Yeah. 
if you can, uh, if, if if people can imagine like the the soundtrack to this movie is is like a lot of like orchestral russian singing and yeah <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's a very distinct sound and yeah i would listen to the whole thing and i was a little weirdo i think i was with you on the book but <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I couldn't get a couldn't get enough of all things. Red October. I was listening to Vanilla Ice, not a Russian orchestra. <laughs> Basil Polidorus. Yeah. Yeah. My music taste. I, I got into the music game late, and it had a long way to go in a short <laughs> amount of time. Yeah. Oh man. But uh, so What's anyway. Funny, though is we're. I mean, going back to that movie. We. I mean, we're going back twenty-seven years. Yeah. You all were in high school. Mm-hmm. I was. I had still not graduated college. I was in yep. middle school. Middle school. Yeah, we were thirteen. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for telling me that. We were in eighth grade, Todd. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for not just playing along with me. Yeah. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> we need to be historically accurate <laughs> for the sake of our listeners, even if it hurts people's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay, man. That's how it is. 